Welcome to the Wednesday Wake Up Club Breakfast Podcast. On today's show is Pierre Wilson, National Director of Blexit America, speaking at a Leadership Institute digital town hall about how he grew up, how he got red-pilled, and how we can outreach better to the black community. So get some aioli on your bagel and take a sip of your green tea, because you're listening to the Wednesday Wake Up Club Breakfast Podcast. Are you looking to launch your career? Do you want to gain real, professional experience while sharpening your media skills? Then apply today to be a studio's intern here at the Leadership Institute. As a studio's intern, you'll master Adobe programs and get behind-the-scenes access to media professions across the board. Just go to leadershipinstitute.org and click on the Career tab to learn more. That's leadershipinstitute.org and click on the Career tab to learn more. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Just hearing that, you know, bio about myself, it just, it kind of ties into the story I want to kind of tell today, which is my Blexit story. Um, Listening to those things, you know, I tried to listen to it almost in third person and not really kind of pretend it wasn't me uh, to pretend that this was someone else I was listening to, uh, but still incorporating my story growing up. And I just have to say, wow, because you know, when I tell you guys how much I went through growing up and where I'm at, um, I just want to first of all say all credit goes to God, you know, for for me being where I am. Um, but before I jump into my story, I want to say thank you to Andrew, Alan, Gabe, everyone at the Leadership Institute that invited me to, and, and, and you guys are the reason I'm here. Um, to the students, everyone who is listening, I appreciate you guys supporting me constantly. Um, I thought about how to approach this speech today. Um, again, one of the things I always do before any speech is I pray and I kind of ask God, you know, what message should I deliver? You know, what do I need to give? And, uh, one of the things we talked about was my story, my Blexit story. And, um, that's exactly what I want to give you today. But to understand my Blexit story, you have to understand how I grew up. You have to understand what I dealt with, uh, what came before my liberation. Um, So I, you know, just for you guys who don't know, again, I'm Pierre Wilson. I'm the National Director of Blexit America. Uh, But I started as a small town kid in Maryland um, in a rough neighborhood. I was being raised by a single mother. Um, My father wasn't in the home. Um, I experienced a lot of change growing up. And when I say change, I mean, I would literally meet people at different schools. And then before I know it, I would have to say say goodbye to those people. Sometimes I would have to leave without saying goodbye. And I would never see those people again. So from a young age, I got used to change often. And that's hard. You know, we don't realize the psychological effects those things have until you get a little bit older. But, you know, that was, to me, phase one of me kind of seeing the country and seeing the world a certain way. I just knew that I wasn't I wasn't those people on movie screens. I wasn't those people on TV shows. I wasn't even, you know, the people that I would hear about in stories my life was, it was rough. It was always constantly moving. It was, you know, a mom who struggled to pay bills, you know, who sometimes had to sacrifice herself eating so that we ate. Um, And then she was often upset as anyone would be in situations like that upset, maybe a better word is stressed. Um, So I grew up really kind of in a rough, in a rough household. And 
for me, you know, when you're young, you don't really process it. It comes, it kind of becomes the norm. Even the schools that I were in, they were not so good, but at the time it was the norm. And it didn't hit me until, you know, maybe around high school was when I started to, to question things a little bit. It was like the first seed of questioning things. And the reason why is because in high school, uh, that was the first time I had went to school where the school was majority um, white. It was a majority white school. And um, I started to see a different lifestyle. I started to see different, um, a different culture, I guess you can say, in people who are going about things a little bit different. And it's not to say that it's only race, right? Because there are plenty of black people that you can't act the color. You know, I want to make sure that's very clear. But the culture, the culture from what I was used to was very different. And it made me start to question a couple of things. I'm like, wait, there's another America out here that apparently no one has told me about because my entire life, all I've seen is, is struggle. And I've seen, you know, my teachers kind of speak to me in a manner that I, you know, I didn't know, you know, certain things, almost like I was being baby my entire life because I wasn't capable, you know, or the cards were stacked against me. That's how I was being taught. And unfortunately, that's kind of how I was being taught by family members too. And I'm, this is not to, to talk down about my family. I love my family very much, but one of the things that I'll share with you guys is that the victim narrative that I had to break out of, it is deep rooted in black America. And it was deep rooted in my family as well. So, you know, I'm seeing these people in high school and they're just, they're not living like victims. They're, they're, they're enjoying life, you know? And I'm, I'm seeing a whole new perspective than I'd ever seen before. And that first seed of doubt hit. So I remember my teacher, still remember this day, <laughs> my teacher wanted us to write a paper on the election. At the time it was Al Gore and George W. Bush. And um, I, you know, I started to write it on George W. Bush, you know, candidate. At the time he was, you know, Governor Bush and I was writing it on him. And I remember showing my mom and when I went to go show my mom, I was thinking like, okay, she's going to, you know, look at the paper, check for spelling errors and tell me, you know, if I need to change something or whatever. I just, I never thought that I would get what came next. What came next was completely a disbelief to me, even still to this day. <laughs> she still denies it went down like that, but I'm like, it definitely went down this way. I showed her the paper and the moment she saw that I had written it on George W. Bush, she, her eye, everything just, change from like someone who was getting ready to read this paper to someone who was like it was almost like anger filled her she was like what is this like what do you what why are you writing this on george w bush and i said well my teacher wanted us to do an assignment on a presidential election she wanted us to pick a candidate and research them and then write the paper on them she said no we don't do that in this house we don't write papers on republicans that caught me off guard completely um because at the time, again, I had always been into politics. Like I had this fascination with learning about the government and learning about um, governments across the world. I was a big history person too. Like that had always been something that was like of interest to me, but it wasn't something that I had processed yet that that would become my passion. So I listened to her. I said, okay, for whatever reasons, we don't write papers about Republicans. We don't. We we just don't. So I went back, didn't question my mom. I rewrote the entire paper. 
I was up all night that night, needless to say, because many of you guys understand this. Don't judge me. I'm a procrastinator, so it was the night before. <laughs> but at the same time, my papers were always good, by the way. The night before, not they were good. But I went and I rewrote the paper. I was up all night, and um, I never questioned again. You know, at that well, up until later in life, I never questioned why that was a problem. So I turned the paper in, got a good grade on it, all is well. You know, college comes around. I went to a historically black college, as you heard um, Alan say, I started there. And again, I kind of fell back into that same victim mentality routine that I had been so accustomed to. But again, when you're in it, and this is what I want people to understand, especially those who are not in black America who may not understand why this happens and why the Democrats have such a control over our community, is because when you're in it, you don't know it. You don't know it because the reality is, the black culture is a prideful culture. Like we are, we have a lot of pride in the things that we do. We have a lot of pride in our history. Um, we feel we we feel very much independent and strong-minded because the victim narrative teaches you that you're you're strong. I know it's weird. It sounds like it's going to it's going against each other, but it's not. It's like we get told the cards are set up against us. So the fact that we are alive today, the fact that we even made it to a college, the fact that we even did anything that we did anything. Like we went to the grocery store. I mean, all these things are an accomplishment in black America. Like we, we survived another day, you know, that's the mentality. So we start to think that we're extremely strong. So if you go to, if you go to a person in black America and you say, Hey, like there's a victim mentality going on right now. And if the Democrats have put on our community, their first answer is going to be absolutely not. We're not victims. We're strong. And, and many are strong, but in this particular situation where we have a victim narrative, we are we are weak and we have to be and it's not to discredit black americans there are many different americans of different races you know who have the same struggle as well but it's just such a predominant issue in the black black community where what 85 to 90 percent of us vote democrat you know that's insane so you that tells you right there there's an issue so in college you know again going to historically black college I fell right back into it. Any little similar progress I had, it was gone. Because I remember, you know, even during the election, and don't get me, guys, do not get me, because I Hillary Clinton is an interesting woman, just to say the least right now. But at the time, I was thorough with my candidates. I remember Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton going against each other. And pretty much everybody at my school was all Obama, Obama, Obama. And I was starting to question that because I said, well, why exactly are we picking Obama? Is it because he's black? Because right now I haven't really heard anything. And I was like, we need to look at Hillary Clinton as well and look at her stances and really see, you know, which candidate is better. And then people just continue to say, what are you? I mean, I remember my friends just like, they thought I was insane just because I said I wanted to look at Hillary Clinton. I didn't say I was going to vote for her yet. I said I wanted to look at her, um, her stances and see where she stood and make an informed decision. I mean, I got blasted right um which is interesting because they still end up voting me voting for me as class president but i think part of it is because they knew that i was the type to challenge things and as much as this victim narrative is over black america i think there is a part there's a part in all of us that wants to be woken up and my ability to always challenge so much, I think they were like, you know, this guy would make a great last president. And I did because the moment, and I'm, I look, that sounds boastful, but I did. I did because the moment I was elected, it was about the people. I went around, I asked my classmates, like, what are some of the things you want to see done? It wasn't about Pierre's plan or what I felt we needed. It was about the people. And 
I, I use it as an opportunity to say, I care so much about the well-being of everyone. And I feel like we are being lied to, but at the same time, I still didn't want to question it too far and start to look at the Republican side, but I just started to challenge within the Democratic Party, like, let's just not, you know, all coalesce around one candidate. Let's do ourselves a favor and study everyone. So that was kind of like the, the seed being replanted. I was starting to push back on some things, but still very much voting Democrats, still very much thinking I was in line with the Democrats, um, still very much not even giving the Republican Party a, a look. Well, fast forward a little bit. <laughs> Candace Owens, Candace Owens. So I'm on YouTube one night. Well, was I on YouTube? I was, I was online. Let's just say I was online one night. And me being me, you know, always search through uh, articles. I'm like that weird person that's up like at 3 a.m. Like, how tall is Jesus? Like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, just typing in random stuff and reading random articles and just doing random things. I'm that person, guilty. Um, well, one of the videos I came across was Candace Owens. And at the time, like, I had heard her name before, but I really didn't know who she was. And I saw this video. She was standing in front of the White House. She had a megaphone. I still remember it. Um, and behind her were all these black folks with MAGA hats on. And I'm just, before she even says a word, I'm in just disbelief. I'm like, what is this craziness? Like, what in the world is this? Like, what are these black people doing with MAGA hats on? Like, Trump is a racist and he's going to send all black people back to Africa and I've never even been to Africa. What am I going to do in Africa? <laughs> I'm just thinking all kinds of stuff like, who are these people? And, um, you know, I started to listen. I'm like, what could she possibly be saying? Like, this has to be some type of publicity stunt. So I hit play and I'm listening. And the whole time I'm listening to this video, I'm thinking in my head without even realizing, I'm like, she's crazy. She's crazy. She's crazy. But I can't turn it off. <laughs> like, I couldn't turn it off. I'm just like, she's insane. She's insane but I couldn't turn it off. I just kept listening. Next thing you know, I listened to it. I, I'm not even lying. I think I listened to it about 10 times in a row. I kept replaying it. And she was spitting out all these stats and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, no way, no way. This stuff cannot be true. This cannot be true. The Democrats, how they would never take advantage of us. They are the party of black people. They love us. They will, they will go to bat for us. They will do anything for us. No way. You know, no way. So I'm like, I'm going to research this. <laughs> so that's, that's phase one. And Candace often talks about this a lot. When you have your red pill moment is what we call it, or your Blexit moment, that's the better word, right? Your Blexit moment, you feel a, a, a sense of different emotions. The first emotion is you're kind of confused. You've been taught something your entire life. You, you're used to something being the way of the world your entire life. And, you know, you say, this can't be true. This, this, this cannot be true. So you start to research. You're like looking things up. You're like Googling everything you can find, watching every type of YouTube video. You're going to, like me, I'm going to websites and I'm reading bills and I'm just, I'm, I'm just going down this rabbit hole of information. Well, after that, you get upset. Because I tell people this all the time, and I say this to my liberal friends as well, the facts are on the conservative side. I'm just being honest. I'm not saying the Republican Party is perfect. I'm not saying everything has been done perfectly on their end as well. Again, I think one thing I'll talk about later is I think the Republican Party could have done a better job of outreaching to the Black community. But the facts are on the conservative side. 
when you start to look at the values and um, some of the things that the Democrats have done uh, to our community, you start to realize like, hey, these things that she's saying, they're true. You know, like we do have a problem in Black America that is not being resolved. And the Democrats have had control of our community for how long? And I'm not talking about presidents, right? Look at every predominant Black community and see who the mayor is. See who the city council members are. See, it's the left. The left controls the Black community. The left controls Black America. And yet they complain and they blame the, the right as if the right even had a chance to fix the problems. You know, and I think it's a master marketing scheme by the Democrats. Blame the people who never even had a chance, really, or hasn't in recent history hasn't had a chance to even correct issues in Black America because we continuously vote Democrats in. So the left has somehow convinced us that the man is the problem, the white man, the white man of the Republican Party and everything, because it takes blame off themselves. But you know what really struck me was values. In Black America, Black America and Black people are some of the most faith-based people I have ever met in my life. It's ingrained in our culture, ingrained. So I'm sitting here like, you have a party who has an open war against God, and, we're, and they don't even hide it. And we're voting for them? You know, when conservatives are preaching about these Christian values and beliefs, but we're voting for the left? You have, you know, the creator of Planned Parenthood who pretty much created this to exterminate the black population and we're fighting for this pro-choice type thing where you don't, we don't even realize that this pro-choice is really getting rid of the black community. I mean, it's our kids that are being killed. It's our population that will be dying out. It's us that'll be irrelevant if we continue at this rate. It's us. And we're okay with that. Are you interested in running for office? Want to work on a campaign? At the Leadership Institute, it is our mission to increase the effectiveness of conservative activists and leaders in the public policy process. We offer over 40 different trainings, including campaign management school, on-camera TV trainings, and writing workshops. If you want to make a difference in public policy, visit leadershipinstitute.org. That's leadershipinstitute.org. You know, I don't know any black people who want to pay more taxes. The most black, every black person I know, every time they get their paycheck, they are upset. They think the government's taking too much. But yeah, we're voting for the party that wants to always increase taxes, that's always looking for a way to increase taxes. And then we're being told that welfare and all these different things are for us, we're, that we're doing it to help you guys. Well, if you really wanted to help us, wouldn't you spend more money on job trainings and um, resume writing services and things that will help our community make a better life instead of keeping us in this consistent bubble of not really jumping ahead? but telling us you're helping us, it like reminds me of that friend in your life or if you've ever had a friend like that who basically pretends that they're helping you, but in a way they're really keeping you down. But they don't want you to be too high because if you get too high, you won't really need them. They need you to need them. That's what the left treats us like. They need us to need them. If we get off, of, if they get rid of these government programs and they get rid of all of these things, these, then we're going to start to reevaluate. And we might just say, you know what? I feel like I line up more with the conservative side. So instead of having a debate on the issues, 
they are going they make it where it looks like we well they make it where so many in our community depend on these social programs and then they champion these social programs so that we are locked in to continue to vote for them even if it makes no sense well i'm here to tell people that the conservative message is breaking that but before i get too far ahead again i want to jump back i want to jump back into that real pill moment so again that's me gathering all this information and researching and looking up all of these things but the last emotion i felt was the strongest one well you know what the second to last emotion was one of the strongest one i was upset because now i'm like okay i have all these facts and i research and i realized that at the very least at the very least, even if we still have black Democrats, it should not be 85 to 90%. That is insane. With the things they have done to our community, that is way too high of a number of people voting for one party. That is insane. So I'm upset. I feel bamboozled. I feel, I'm mad at myself. I'm like, Pierre, how could you be so dumb? Like, you're supposed to be an intelligent person. <laughs> you're supposed to be researching more. Like, you, you research everything. How could you not know this? I was really upset. But the last emotion, the last emotion was the hardest to swallow. I was scared. I got scared because I was in fear because I was like, how am I going to say this to my mom, to my dad, to my family, friends, anyone? How do I tell them that I'm conservative? How do I tell them that I, I want to give the Republican Party my vote or the Republican candidate my vote? How do I even say that? So that emotion to me is why I am here today fighting so hard with Blacks in America, because I don't want anyone to ever feel that again. It should not be scary to say that your political beliefs are different from someone else. It should not be, you should not be in fear to say that. But so many in black America are. They wouldn't even, the, the word Republican is like forbidden. The word conservative is forbidden. That's a shame. Because we're not even doing ourselves a due diligence to be able to look at both sides. Because the other side is never up for discussion in black America. And that is sad. So I had to pray a lot on it. It took a couple months. And I still remember it was a January, I think it was Jan I think it was January of last year, actually. I was like, here we go, God. I'm going on Facebook and I'm going to put up a status about my conservative beliefs. So I'm going to stand up for some for something that's that I feel passionate about. And woo, did I get attack, attack, attack. I, I, I can't even remember what the status was. I'm pretty sure. It, to me, it wasn't even that controversial, but I can't even remember what it was. I tried to throw a softball. It wasn't a softball. It was a hardball, apparently, to Black America. I mean, I got attacked. People were just like, on my status, like, delete me, and you're this, and you're that, and all kind. It was just my fa family members were saying this stuff, you know, family. And then some families were like, call me now. <laughs> like, you wouldn't think I got arrested or something, you know? You wouldn't have thought, you wouldn't have thought that I just was saying something that was conservative. I'm just spilling all conservative about you would have thought I legit had done something done a crime you know and just posted about it that's the way I was being treated by people on Facebook but the thing that shocked me the most was that majority of my comments actually didn't come from black America it came from white liberals 
white liberals. That shocked me the most because that was like, wait a minute, you don't own me, you know? <laughs> the, way so, the way so many of them were talking was as if they owned me. Like, how dare I step out of line? How dare I look at the conservative side? And that bothered me. You know, it, it actually, just being honest with you guys, it really actually pissed me off because I'm thinking like, how dare you act like you have some type of control over me? I'm not your little victim black friend. I'm, I'm a grown adult. I can think for myself. Like I can research just like you can, like stop treating me like a victim. That's part of the reason why so many of us are in that mentality. We don't even realize it because of a lot of white liberal elites. So for me, you know, that got me fired up and I'm writing back and I'm saying all this stuff, but it kept me going. It almost lit this spark under me that it was like, I'm going to keep battling. And that's when I jumped into the fire. So almost every day or every other day I was, constantly putting something up and I didn't care about the backlash I was ready because one thing about me and I'm gonna share this with all conservatives out there black white whoever have your facts in order have your facts because we all know the left likes to argue off emotion right so have your facts in order so that you are prepared for any battle and I made sure I'm always like I have I'm I'm, spend, I'm putting out numbers and I'm giving them direct sources. And they're like, you probably got that for our, from an article. Here is the bill. Go read the bill yourself right now. Like I was that person. So, you know, I'm telling you guys this because I think it's really important for you guys to stay in the fight. I don't want anyone, black, white, I don't care. Don't back down. Don't back down ever from fighting for what you know is right. So to so fast forward, you know, I see Candace Owens and she has this blazer movement. She's having blazer rallies. And, you know, this is a cause that obviously from my story that resonated so much with me because it felt like my personal story. So I started to do things on behalf of Blexit. I wasn't at the time on paid staff or anything. I just, as a volunteer, no one asked me to do it. No one told me to do it. I just started doing it in my community. Um, I started posting things a lot online. I started sharing Blexit stories and different things. And that continued throughout the year. Well, one of the things I noticed last year in October, well, I noticed it a little bit before, but October is when it launched was, I said, you know, Candace is doing all these legs of rallies and they're fantastic, but what about after the rally? What do people do? They have this amazing experience, right? But what do they do after? And especially in black America, let's just be real. Again, we have to remember 85 to 90% votes for the left. So what are they doing now? They've had this awakening moment. They finally listened to a little bit about the other side. What do they do then? So I said, we need to have a, we need to have something in the communities. We need to have something where people can follow up and be a part of something bigger than just a rally. We need to have something where we can help people. We can have one-on-one -on -one conversations. We can have a local events. We need to have something community based because in the community is where it matters the most. So what came from that was Blegs in North Carolina, the, the first official state chapter of the Blegs movement. I was nervous when I launched it because this was my first big foray. Like I had been in some local politics stuff, but I was a member, I had been on a board and all that, but this was my first time like really launching something this big in the political scene. And I also didn't know how Candace would take it at first because 
I didn't actually run this by her at the time. <laughs> it was more of a, it was, it was kind of one of those things where I looked at it like, you know, I want to be able to bring something like of substance to her. I don't want to just bring an idea. I want to bring action. I want to bring something to say, here's what we've done. This is, and we've done this, this, and this. What do you think? You know, instead of just saying, Hey, I have an idea. Like, and I encourage you guys who are all listening, like chase your dreams, go after what you want. Don't just wait to be directed or to be told what to do. Like chase it, go after it. We live in the greatest country on earth. Okay. Or you have a guy who I just explained my backstory and I'm the national director of Blazer right now. Chase your dreams. It's possible. Um, the first chapter, it started with me calling, I think I called three people. Shout out to Lisa Matthews, um, Valerie White Johnson and Osiga. Those were the first three people I called. Uh, and I'm like, hey, guys, I'm like, they're going to think I'm crazy. They're going to think I'm insane. But I'm going to tell them, I'm like, hey, guys, I want to I want to launch this Blexit chapter. It never hasn't been done before. Um, I really think this will be beneficial. And they're like, how do you want it? Like, what do you plan to do? And I'm like, I don't really know yet. But I know here's a couple of things I want to do, but I don't really know how it's going to look. And it just it was a lot. It was a lot up in the air. I really didn't know. But fast forward to today, we have nine chapters launched. Um, we have well over, we have hundreds and hundreds of members. I mean, sometimes I sit back and I'm just like, I can't believe this is like real life. Um, we have a national team. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to, to Consuela and Ariel, Gabby, Zaire, and um, Rakita. We have a full-blown operation and organization going on with more chapters to come. We're going to have majority of the chapters launched by the end of this year. Um, and the chapters are doing so much community work. I got moved into a paid staff role. I still remember that day too. Candace wrote me and she goes, this is absolutely incredible. And I hadn't even had the time to go to her first. I was still doing things. And she wrote me and she goes, this is absolutely incredible what you're doing. And she was like, she wanted to talk to me and she wanted to meet. Well, fast forward through that, she offered me a position and I was this, I was going to be on staff and I was still the state director of North Carolina. And I've since moved up to national director and to me, I haven't, I was just telling a friend yesterday, I hadn't sat down and really processed this and where I'm at. And because I'm, I've been so busy, but whenever I give these speeches and I tell my story, I think back to that little kid who didn't realize I was in a victim narrative. I think back to that, that high schooler who wrote a paper on George W. Bush and my mom shut it down and I didn't question it. I think back to the person in college who was challenging things, but it was still only the left. I still hadn't fully opened up my mind. I think back to the person who wrote on Facebook and got obliterated by everyone. I think back to all these different moments that led me here, that Candace Owens video. And I'm like, wow, God is good, you know? Um, and I want you guys to take that from this as well. Be persistent in your pursuit and don't be silenced. Don't let anyone silence you. Because liberals aren't afraid to speak up. That's the one thing I will say about them. But I do find a lot of conservatives who are, who sometimes will say, yeah, I feel this way, but I won't share. Do you know how many black Americans have written me in my inbox after some of my statuses on Facebook and stuff like that? And I'm like, Pierre, I agree with you. But they will never, they don't want to say it out loud. They don't want to say it on their Facebook or to their family because of fear. That's wrong. That's what I'm fighting against. I realize that there are going to be some black liberals. There are going to be some white liberals. There are going to be liberals 
probably until the end of time, right? Whether we like it or not, <laughs> they're going to be liberals. But even still, what I hope the Blexit movement is doing is challenging everyone to think for themselves. And that's really what Blexit is about. It's not about changing people from Democrat to Republican. That's my, my story. It doesn't have to be everyone's story, right? My story is really about being able to think freely. And when I thought freely, I realized I lined up as a conservative. And when people think freely, you'll see more Black Americans doing the same. But we do come across some plenty who uh, still, after thinking freely and kind of evaluating everything, they still decide to vote for the left. And that's okay, because at least they are doing it because they know it's who they are and not because it's all they know, because that's a difference. There's a difference between those two. So I want people to all think freely. I want people to be able to say, you can't. You you can't push back on me just because I think different than you. I have every right to think for myself. I'm not a victim. I live in the greatest country on earth. I was blaming the man for most of my life. And before I went to high school, I didn't even really hardly know any white people. So who exactly were, who was keeping me down? <laughs> what man was keeping me down? I have no idea. Couldn't answer it. So that's one of the things that I want to share with you guys. Like, and, 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 and it could, this could apply to anything in your life. Do not let people keep you down. If you start to live like a victor and you start to realize that we live in the greatest country on earth where a young, a young black guy from a rough area who had everything around him pointing into a victim narrative could rise up and work for Candace Owens <laughs> and be the national director to launch a huge part of her movement. Thanks, thank you, Candace, by the way, for not shooting me down. <laughs> so much credit to her as well. I appreciate you for believing in me. But if I could do that, you can too. There's no reason. And all I did was change my mentality. That's all I did. You are the CEO of your life. You are. And you may have to make tough decisions like a CEO. Sometimes you may have to remove people. There are a lot of friends I lost. But you know what? They weren't real friends anyway. They weren't real friends anyway. So sometimes you have to make it some, it's family members sometimes that you have to say, you know what? I need you to respect my decision. I love you. You're my family, but I need you to respect who I am. And I need you to respect that I've done my own research and I can think for myself. As a CEO of your life, you have to make executive decisions. One thing I didn't share with you guys was when I started to get more into the political scene, I had to make a tough choice. I was an insurance agent at the time for MetLife, and I was making a lot of money. I mean, I was, for people who have worked in insurance or know anything about insurance, if you do it at a high level, it's very lucrative. I quit that job. I quit that job, and I took on a smaller job that allowed me more flexibility so I could chase my dream of helping black America more. This is when I was still a volunteer for Blexit. I was just trying to get my foot more in the door of politics. I knew this was my passion. I quit that job. Well, a couple months later, I lost the job that I got because I was putting so much into the Blexit movement. I was working so hard. Um, like literally you would find me everywhere all over the state of North Carolina. I was missing so much time that they fired me. First time I ever got fired from a job. I mean, you talk about a, you talk about a moment. I mean, I sat there in my bed for a while and I just couldn't move. But you know what? It was like I was hurt when I got fired. But at the same time, it was it was a moment where I'm like, I still feel good for some reason. 
because I got fired because I was doing something that was bigger than that little job that I had. I was helping to liberate black America, you know? And um, I remember Candace said, you're going to look back. Cause I told her that day, I remember right now, I was like, I just got fired. And um, still I wasn't on staff. She goes, you're going to look back on this moment that you were let go from this job and you're going to realize that it was actually a blessing. I still have that message from her. And she was right. Because three months later, she offered me, and it was a long three months, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but three months later, she offered me an official position with Blexit. And I just can't tell you how happy I have, I've been since I've been in this role. I love what I do. To wake up and know this is my job is insane. People are like, Pierre, go to sleep, you know? Like, you you work too much. And I'm like, I know, but I, I have so much to do. Like, that's the feeling that I feel when I'm, when I'm doing my job. I feel excited. I feel a rush getting up every day to work. And that's when you know you're living your dream and you're living your passion. So be the CEO of your life. You have to make tough decisions sometimes. You have to have a plan. You have to have a plan as well of what you want to accomplish. And lastly, you have to have tough skin. You do. You have to have tough skin because the attacks have been stopped. The, 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 the more my profile has risen, the attacks have continued. And some of them are ugly attacks. Like people, you would have thought I'd personally hurt them. And some of these people were attacking me. I've never met them a day in my life. I don't even know where they live, never seen their face. Most of them online don't some character or something, you know, but the attacks are personal. And um, that's something that you have to get accustomed to if you're going to survive in this world. But the reason the way I survive is that I remember who I'm doing it for. I'm not so worried about the people that are attacking me. I'm worried about the people who I'm helping. Who am I liberating? Who needs to hear this? And that's what keeps me going. So hopefully this was a help to you guys. Um, I am available for questions. Um, I would love to hear your questions. Thank you guys. Thanks for listening to the Wednesday Wake Up Club Breakfast Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to share and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast. To listen to more breakfast, head over to the Leadership Institute YouTube channel. And to see who our next WWCB speaker is, visit our website at leadershipinstitute.org. The Wednesday Wake Up Club Breakfast Podcast is produced and edited by Alexander Chang with support from Tiffany Roberts and Jared Cummings. Advertisements by Alexander Chang and Christopher Olson. Executive produced by David Fenner and Morton Blackwell.